Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran. Once again, without Eddie or Matthew, they've left me on my own. What if this whole episode was just me talking into the microphone and not knowing if anybody was listening? But it's not, because two people are here with me. Today, we'll be talking about Exalted Exigence, Out of the Ashes, which is an upcoming Kickstarter from Onyx Path, as we've talked about on the blog. And with me today are Robert Vance. Hello. And Elliot Freeman. Hello, hello. These are the developers of Exigence who got it across the finish line for us, and also the current developers of Siderials, which we can maybe talk a little bit about later. Um, that said, today we're going to talk about Exigence because it's coming up and we're building hype for it. We're so excited. Uh, but first, it is both of these folks' first time on the podcast. I realized before we started recording. So let's talk a little bit about how they got into the industry and specifically Exalted. I know that your story is kind of parallel. So if you want to start off, Vance and Elliot, you can, of course, jump in whenever is appropriate. So I got into Exalted in high school. I read second edition uh, Scroll of the Monk and Siderials. The only role-playing game I'd really gotten into before that was Dungeons and Dragons, and so the contrast there was just sort of a a hook to young Vance's imagination. I keep forgetting that you're younger than me. Like, I think I just assume that people who have been into Exalted for as long as y'all have and who've been in the industry as long as y'all have in my brain, because I'm like newer to the industry. I'm like, I'm a baby. And I'm like, I'm older than both of you. Like, right. Okay. <laughs> Cause you said high school. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like first edition came out when I was 16. Like what? Yeah. I'm an edition behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't playing it in high school, as we talked about here. I got into Exalted when Rich Thomas told me I was in charge of Exalted. Vance and I were just old enough to graduate our games. <gasps> oh, did you graduate oh, your games? Oh, no, no. that mm-hmm. was... We don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, so you got into second edition in high school? Yeah, and I did uh, two big things. First is I ran a online play-by-post game of second edition, uh, called God Kings of Lotus, uh, and among mm-hmm. other things, that is how I ended up meeting Elliot. Oh, where did where did baby baby exalted Elliot fit into this? Uh, so baby exalted Elliot was like, I don't, I think I'm like two years older than Vance, so I was probably like a freshman in college, mm-hmm. and I had only really been in role playing games through Dungeons and Dragons 3.5. And I kept seeing like forum threads for games that were being hosted and it said Exalted. And I just thought that there were all these people who were just 150% down for the book of Exalted Deeds and I did not get it. (laughs) That's wonderful. And then I finally uh, actually sat down and looked at one of the threads. And from there I got into first edition because there were still some folks running first edition Mm -hmm. and fell in love with the Sidereals and got into second edition and ended up uh, in a game that would be run by Vance for four years. I do want to point out before any of our listeners pointed out that this is, this happens quite often that all of us are pronouncing something slightly differently. Uh, that happens when you read a fantasy word a whole bunch and don't ever say it until you start talking about it with other people. Uh, so you might hear sidereals, you might hear sidereals. It's good. They're all fine. Say what you want. No one's going to stop you. That said, so were y'all into... Like anime and stuff beforehand? Is that kind of like did that play a I, role in it? I, I grew up with Toonami. I uh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gundam Wing, Yu Yu Hakusho, those were pretty formative for young fans as well. 
absolutely. I was totally into anime and Toonami. So same here. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that tracks. So Vance, how did you start writing for the line? Because that's, I know, one of those things that fans are always like, I, I've loved this my whole life. How do I do the thing? Like, how did you do the thing? Because you were doing it pre-Onyx Path, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, I'd just done a lot of homebrew mechanic stuff for that. And so when I started playing Exalted, I did the same thing there and posted them on the forms. Uh, and one day... Michael Goodwin, who's known on the internet as Neff sometimes, who wrote the Infernal Charms. Oh, yeah, I know Michael. Uh, just noticed it, started chatting, uh, and I got pulled on, sort of on his recommendation for the Autothonia setting book that went with Alchemicals. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where I made my first little debut. That's cool. And Elliot, when did you start with the line? I, I don't actually know on your end. So I actually started much later on, um, and I think the first thing that I came on for was uh, the double whammy of Adversaries of the Righteous and Hundred Devils Night Parade. Good job on the titles. I, 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 it was touch and go there for a hot second. I, I, I today looked at something like 35 sketches for Adversaries of the Righteous, so it's like on my brain right now, but yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, so that's uh, where I got onto the line. Uh, I, I've never been as prolific a home brewer as Vance was, obviously, but I always kind of put some different stuff out there. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to have to. Mm, I, Words are hard. It's okay. Words are hard. Words are occasionally hard. Everyone knows that, like, between especially me and Eddie, um, I, have, I have ADHD. Eddie has hearing loss. We just stumble into words constantly. It's fine. Um, I, I cut my stutter out half the time of this podcast, but I definitely have one. Uh, that's okay. Anybody can be a podcaster. That's why it's free. Elliot, you've also got a background in writing, like creative writing, correct? And, and academic? Yes, correct. Uh, I am a librarian, an academic librarian in my day job, and then mm. also um, theoretically a, a poet and writer and writing tutor and editor and... I wear a lot of hats, except in real life, where I don't wear any hats because my head is enormous. Oh, I look terrible in hats for that same reason. I'm really envious of Lauren Roy. Oh, yeah. Um, who, if anybody has ever seen Lauren Roy, one of our favorite uh, fiction writers specifically, uh, but also all of her writing is good. She has a fabulous hats. And I'm she always does. like, I want a fabulous hat. And then I have to go get like the largest size they make. And I'm like, well, now my head just looks bigger. Oh, yeah. I had to special order a cap, and it's even then, it's kind of snug. Yeah, yeah. No, I get you. How about you, Vance? Is this like a universal among exalted people? Is your head also huge? Uh, most sunglasses, if I put them on, will give me a headache, so I will say yes. Excellent. We have identified the one thing that makes you an exalted writer, and it's phrenology, weirdly enough. I was about uh, to say, did we reinvent phrenology? Is that what we just did? <laughs> Uh, no, because that's terribly fraught, and we should not reinvent phrenology. <laughs> I feel pretty comfortable condemning phrenology on the record. Yeah, 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 yeah. I am I am uncomfortable saying I am anti-phrenology on the I, podcast. I will co-sign that hot take. I know it's very brave of me, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm also anti-blood uh, draining as a cure-all for everything, but, you know, here we are. Now that's where we disagree. 
<laughs> as long as this disagreement is just humorous. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I just love your evil laugh. Because like I feel like the fan court and some of the forums have you as this like kind of sweet person, but then also you choose sin very often. I mean, I do love to tease them with redactions. It is it, It's true. We all have our vices. When I put out this podcast, I should put that I interviewed Robert Vance and redacted. Please you should. Do. Please do. And just at some point later in this podcast, just some random point, I don't care which one, just do the like redacted bleep over what I say. Mm-hmm, it can mm-hmm. be something completely anodyne that we've already revealed, but just just wet their appetites for it. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I, I'm glad that now we're talking about discussing editing the podcast on the podcast. Uh, but they've heard worse before because they've heard our movie episodes. Um, that said, we are here to talk about Exigence, a uh, star of the upcoming Kickstarter. Or I guess I should say stars since every Exigent is special and different. And I know that one of the coolest things about Exigent, the thing that everybody's been excited about, there's, there's it's kind of twofold. One, it's the first new Exalt type, right? Correct. It's the first new Exalt type we've had in this edition. And also, it's bespoke. Yep. Each, uh, each Exigent is unique. And while we have some fully playable Exigents right out of the book... They are also set up basically so you design your own if you want to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. It is something where you can just go really fully into homebrew if that's what you're interested in. And if you're not interested in it, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to do it. Uh, you don't have to write any charms you're not going to take. So it's very different than sort of writing a full exalted charm set. Mm-hmm. And for the ones that you can get out of the book, just as a follow-up question, um, do do those have kind of full exalt charm sets so you could have like two different Straw Maiden Janus to play very differently? They do. They're structured a little bit differently than others as part of a way to both fit them in the book, but also to sort of reinforce their themes. Uh, Straw Maiden Janus has charms for five abilities. So she'll sometimes mm-hmm. use an ability to do something it normally wouldn't. She can use uh, presents to go along with cooking, bringing together people with a home-cooked meal. She can use survival to do some of her sort of fertility goddess charms. That's cool. So it really takes everything you would have in an ex- exalted charm set and narrows it down into this sort of more compact structure. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of go through what's going to be in the book a little bit, um, also just by way of explaining a little bit about what exigents are. I know that chapter one is kind of about how the gods create them um, and why they exist and what their history is. So does one of you want to give like kind of a brief synopsis of that? Like why why are exigents, I guess, would be the uh, question that some folks will ask. Elliot, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. Uh, so why are exigents? Um <laughs> well, if we're talking about the insetting reason, the reason is because when the gods were beginning their rebellion, uh, the unconquered sun wanted to facilitate a way for all of these lesser gods to join into the effort and create their mm-hmm. own exalted champions. Uh, he did that using a miraculous divine bonfire called the Exigence, and he would send forth all these wonderful little sparks that could be catalyzed by gods into their own champions. Um So the exigence originally started as the chosen of gods who are willing to put themselves on the line to support the divine revolution. 
Uh, and after the revolution, it became a kind of show of faith for the gods in terms of petitioning the unconquered sun for a spark because they had something that needed a champion in order to be done uh, or because they were greedy and venal and wanted a champion for vanity reasons uh, Mm -hmm. or any of the reasons that come between those two extremes. Um, And then, I mean, out of, uh, out of setting like the exigence are the exigence because they bring this wonderful uniqueness to creation. They make everything feel a little more local, a little more specific. They give people like room and permission to come up with stuff that is going to be unique to their version of creation uh, mm-hmm. and to just do more weird stuff. And that's something that third edition has really leaned into is making more room for people to have stuff that defies easy categorization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I've I've been really pleased with the reactions to Dragon Blooded and Lunars, which are the two that have come out since I took over, um, as well as Hundred Devils and the Realm and everything else that I've kind of had a had a you know finger on more than a hand in, like just kind of was like poking it, going like, yeah, I'm I'm watching that. Uh, but I am I'm super excited to introduce the first like new splat. Like that's that's so cool for me. Um, and I'm sure it's even cooler for y'all. Because it's also your first development job, right, Elliot? Uh, so yes, it is my first development job. Um, I kind of got brought in a little bit towards the middle of the process when, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, nothing happened at all in the world during the development cycle for Exigence Out of the Ashes. No, nothing at all. Um, I mean, we've, we've talked about that with a few of our books over the past few years, uh, even as far back as like... 2017 doing Becca's Jihad Diary, you know, where Neil has to turn it over to Matthew because of him doing Scion. Like, it, it just happens sometimes that developers change. But Elliot was already such a part of the group on some level, and not like to be clicky, but like because you knew Vance as a friend. That's part of why I felt so comfortable being like, I, 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 they, they can work together. They'll be fine. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's definitely part of it, but I was able mm-hmm. to come in and kind of help uh, pick that process up because I mean, 2020 and 2021, I'm sure were just completely normal ones for everyone who's listening to the pathcast right now. Nothing, nothing happened, happened. nothing whatsoever. And nothing is currently happening. There is no war in boxing. It's been a very boring three years. Um, (laughs) exactly. But I mean, also I knew that you had a background developing writing for other people, like for your day job, Yes, which is helpful because that's kind of what a developer does. It's true. And honestly, learning that whole process has been wonderful, especially getting to learn it with uh, Vance, but also with Eric Minton, who was the who's the other um, developer on Exigence Out of the Ashes. Uh, And, you know, just getting to see how their process worked and Mm -hmm. trying to have uh, little ways to feel around and, and experiment and get it done. And I think, honestly, the book is amazing. It's something for everyone to be so proud of the writers and the developers I've worked with and everyone else. I cannot wait for the fans to get their hands on it. Aww. I always love, like, getting an excited dev in here, an excited writer. You know, that's, 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 that's the best, obviously, is when you like your own your own work and you're looking forward to people looking at it. I know that whenever I uh, talk to the Exalted Fan Court, hi, Fan Court, you know, I, I like to get in there and tease them. A lot of us do. But all of them always seem really eager just to see what we've done, and that's, that's something that I care about a lot. So with that said, I know that chapter two in the book is about Great Forks. Um, do you want to continue with the setting discussion so that Vance can talk uh, at 
length when we get to the mechanics, Elliot? <laughs> sure. Just double checking. Did we move? Is is Great, Great Forks is chapter two. Okay, so it is back at chapter two now. It's not an appendix. It anymore. is chapter two. Okay, just just making sure. We have rearranged <laughs> the book. Pray we do not rearrange it further. <laughs> okay. So yeah, chapter two is Great Forks. So this is one of the classic locations of Exalted. And so it's been wonderful to have time and space to really dive deeper into it. And a lot of the work that goes into it is making it a very interesting and playable setting. There's so much good cultural texture that goes into it, even if you're just pulling it right out of the box. Um, So we go into the history of how it was founded by three mighty gods, Spinner of Glorious Tales, Weaver of Dreams of Victory, and Shield of a Different Day. But then we also go through like what it's like there on a purely mortal level. And we also really kind of give you the idea that it is... The exigents don't have a home base in Exalted or in Creation. Mm-hmm. Right. And Great Forks is the home base they don't have. Um, because it is going to be the place where... If you are a god looking to try and buy, steal, beg, borrow the spark of exigence, Great Forks is your place. If you are a hero who is looking for the opportunity to impress a god who might have a spare spark lying around, Great Forks is your place. So it's kind of the unofficial (laughs) capital and Mm -hmm. probably the location that has the most exigence in creation in one place with the possible exception of Uluiru, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure we'll get into (laughs) Oh, yeah. So that means that it, it also for like newer people to the setting or to like this specific spot, it would be a really good starting city because you could have a bunch of like exigents that just became exigents. Absolutely. And, you know, are like, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but uh, this river god over here thinks I'm cool. Absolutely. And there's a lot of great hooks that are already just ready for players and story groups to pick up and run with uh, so that they can just really really find something in great forks to sink their teeth into yeah yeah it's 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 called the city of Ten Thousand temples is that right yes so i mean that's for a reason because there are lots of you know temples oh, yeah. and gods there it's it's a whole thing and one thing that i really like is you know uh in trying to find interesting um angles for ways that worship works in great forks one of the ideas that got brought up was that uh, some of the temples are are treated almost like clubs or like museums. There's just all these different aesthetic approaches to mm-hmm. worship and to relationships between spirits and mortals. Uh, and just finding different ways to do that in ways that are, you know, interesting and evocative and novel. So I think there's going to be a lot of cool ideas that folks can pull from that. That's awesome. Do you want to add anything to that, Vance? Or did Elliot pretty much cover it? I do want to add uh, one detail that Eric came up with, the shrine gangs, which are gods who don't have a temple or a shrine because they don't have the political power or the sway among the city's gods to get one up there on the prime real estate. Mm -hmm. So they sort of band together, form these sort of local, almost like street gangs of gods sort of feuding for territory worshippers trying to build themselves up to the point where they can get that big temple uh in the city proper i think that's a really fun addition because it just gives you okay here is all this conflict you can get into 
There are also certain things you can do with that too, because like if you don't want to categorize as like street gang specifically, you could have like buskers, you know? Like I just imagine some like down on their luck god like sitting on a street corner playing a harp, being like, Won't somebody worship me? Yep. <laughs> you worship me, I'll give you this spare spark I found lying around. Absolutely. You can just thing. have like a bohemian artist collective of gods and some abandoned temple equivalent of what they lived in in rent. Oh yeah, no. You, like, oh find no. Some, like like statue of a god, but it's actually one of those living statues and they actually are a god, but not the god they're pretending to be for the statue. <gasps> oh, that's hilarious. They're like I'm a minor god of performance. I'm not the major god of performance, but come on. Cut me a break. Yeah, like honestly, Great Forks is amazing. Like, you know, Great Forks is a hundred percent Eric Mitten's baby, and he did an amazing job just spreading out this great tableau that players and storytellers, I think, are just going to have a lot of stuff to work with. Yeah, I think something that there's there's always part of me that's like conflicted, where it's like I wish the fans could see this, but also I'm glad they can't. It's when somebody brings up something from like second edition in our work Discord or our work Slack. And it's like, okay, how are we going to overhaul this thing? Yeah. And then we, you know, go back and forth for sometimes days and days about it. Sometimes we circle back around to it after a couple of months um, and just try to figure out what the best way to present it in third edition is, which I think has really shown in our treatment of, like I said, Lunars and Dragon Blooded and all the other books that we put out in the past, you know, a couple of years here. Because, like, we are obviously thoughtful. The whole team is very thoughtful. Sometimes to a fault where somebody has to go, like, okay, stop being thoughtful. We have to make a decision. (laughs) But the conversations are always super illuminating. And we get a lot of different voices in there that kind of help shape what a thing should be, which is nice. Yeah, the direction of third edition has really benefited from all the developers, both line developers and book developers, the essence developers, and also people on the writing team just giving their input on here is why this is messed up for these reasons of racism, mm-hmm. sexism, homophobia, transphobia, etc. We need to make this right. And like some are obvious things and some are things that we wouldn't have all always thought about right away, especially some of the, you know, hello waving like white cis folks on the team. Yeah, and there's some things you just uh, become accustomed to, and you need a outside perspective on them. And that that is really the reason why Exalted 3rd Edition has been good at that, to the extent it's been good at that. And if it's been bad mm-hmm. at that, that's us. And, when, and we're trying to do better every time, and that's, that's all we can do. Because, uh, yeah, like, I mean, God, I get Facebook memories from, like, 2015, where I'm like, was I ever so young and stupid? For what it's worth, in 2015, I was 30. So, like, I understand that we've grown and changed a lot, especially in the past four or five years, uh, which I think is important for the line. And I think it's important, like, specifically for as inclusive a line as Exalted is, um, but really for everything that that, that Onyx Path does. We do try really hard to make sure that we get the right sensitivity readers, we get the right cultural folks on things, we double check everything, all of our editors kind of double as like a second, you know, set of eyes on everything to make sure that nothing weird snuck through by accident. That's that's important to us. Yeah, and also just bringing on 
uh, you know, as that writing team grows more and more diverse uh, behind the scenes, getting more of those voices mm-hmm. in the room, because like Vance said, there is just a wonderful like collaborative spirit that goes behind the process of Exalted, where even like at the formative stages, folks are bouncing ideas off one of another, one another, and it gets to some nuance that I think would absolutely have been lost mm-hmm. if there wasn't a very real uh, comfort in having those tough discussions with everyone. And I value it. That's honestly one of my favorite parts about getting some more folks from marginalized backgrounds who um, are, are also longtime fans. Cause they can come in and say like, I love this thing. However, X has always bothered me. Can we change it? And generally the answer is yeah, sure. Of course we can. Like we don't want to bother anybody with our work. We want you to have fun. Um, so yeah, it's like a little, little, little side note on the exalted team. Um, it is very queer and we are working on on diversifying it further as much as we can, (laughs) but it is very queer as it is, which is nice. Um, and then, yeah, we've got, we've got a few other voices here and there. We're still working on it. We're not perfect. We understand that. Um, but next in the book, we do have character creation. Um, and of course, which includes designing custom charms, which are two separate chapters. We can talk about them kind of together. So how, I'm going to say for this advance, how do you handle character creation when you literally kind of don't have borders for that so really the approach exigence takes for everything outside of charms your character creation traits character advancement is to just take sort of what we have in as the core of those systems for all the different exalted and boils it down to just that and it gives it to you and it tells you okay here are some ways you can tweak this, change that to reflect something about your exigent. Here is how you can play with maybe whether your exigent gets access to mastery with martial arts, even though mm-hmm. they're only sort of designed for mixed circle play with dragon blooded. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they have funky access to sorcery or evocations. So just all the different ways you can sort of take this core process that we use with every exalt type and sort of make it customized for your own exigent Mm -hmm. do you provide like uh examples throughout the chapters to say like if you want to play this maybe try this etc etc yeah there is exalted third edition just tends to be example heavy Mm -hmm. Uh, we want to make sure that we're not just sort of throwing rules at you we want to sort of make sure you can see what they do i mean yeah that that makes sense like I, I know Monica Speck talks a lot about like essence and charms being like an exception based rule set. And I think that a lot of Exalted is like that, you know? It's like, oh, here's the power of the god, you can do all this stuff, but here's some exceptions, right? Or like here's some additions that you get to do because you're this thing. I think the best comparison is really Magic the Gathering, just in terms mm-hmm. of a non tabletop role playing game. I mean, I play it on a tabletop. I just don't role play. <laughs> but just the way that you can sort of really change how sort of this set of cards plays while using the same core system. Uh, with Exigence, we're sort of giving you the tools to make your own sort of set of exceptions and variations on that base system. So I should think of my Exigent as my commander deck? Exactly. I'm, I'm doing that from now on when I talk about it, because I play a lot of commander, my favorite magic uh, style. So, yeah, I'm weird. Okay, so I got to get this on the record. Straw Maiden Janist would be green-white. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, no, we're really... Yeah, yeah, we're doing this, Elliot. 
the puppeteer is blue, black, mm-hmm. and maybe white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just a scotch. And then the architects and the sovereigns, there are a bunch of them, but the signature characters, uh, Ravana Quinn, who is the architect of Wujan, is probably red-white. Her, okay. her dirty secret is that she was deeply inspired by Batman. And <laughs> the signature sovereign, Clear Eyes Lie, I'm going to have to turn over to Elliot. So I think the sovereigns in general are probably like white-blue. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, if they were going to, if Matt, um, you know, if they could do counterspells, like the sovereigns would counterspell you. The sovereigns don't want you to get to play your fun cards. Aw, sovereigns are assholes. Just as a vibe, more than as a thing that's actually from there. <laughs> and also, also they've got a lot of love for enchantments and equipment, and that feels blue white. As much as we do talk about all of the you know nuances and things we were just talking about, we also do talk a lot about vibes. In our various exalted discords and slacks. I've I've got bad news about exalted mechanics. There's a lot of vibes involved. There are a lot of vibes. Roll a vibe check. I do have some V10s in front of me. Let's see if I can succeed on my vibe check. I did. Go me. I, I only rolled one, but I got one success. So you know, that's hundred percent vibes. Because I didn't want to roll a million of them on the podcast. Uh it's a really good segue, though, actually, now that we have assigned um, <laughs> Magic the Gathering color schemes to all of them. Let's talk a little bit about the four that we present in the book as kind of our, you know, playable out the gate, don't have to make up your own exalted. So Strawbade and Janice is probably the most well known. Um, Elliot, I know that you have played uh, a version of Janice in uh, a game. You want to talk a little bit about her? Uh, yeah, so I, uh, did a gender-swapped version yeah. for an, uh, it was an essence, uh, con game, and so I played Straw Maiden Jonist, who mm-hmm. was 100% just Wayne from Letterkenny, yep. which was a great deal of fun, but Straw Maiden Janice, in general, I think is just such a wonderful character and so emblematic about what's cool about Exigence. Yeah, she's, she's the only um, one in the core book, right? Well... There are stats for architects, and I think mm-hmm. Ravana Quinn okay. specifically, and there might be one or two others who are mentioned. But she is like the signature. She's in the art, exhibit. which is what I always think of. Is like yes, her standing there and her you know green and her scythe and everything. Oh yes, um, but she's also just this really fun character to get to write charms for, because I think one of the things that really is going to show when people get into the charm sets for the four playable exigent types is that you can do so much cool stuff when you're writing for a specific character or a very narrowly focused archetype of a character, because there are charms that kind of reflect her personality, that reflect her humor. And there's still room, depending on which ways you go, to make a Janist that's different from other Janists. Mm -hmm. But there's just a very strong vibe to all of Janist's versions, which is, you know, she does lots of wonderful folk hero stuff that... Solars have touched on a little, lunars have touched on a little, but nine, but neither in the, like the same way that she does. She gets to be a champion of small communities mm-hmm. in a way that feels very specific to her. Um, and she has just some absolutely fun uh, approaches to solving problems and also some amazing charms. Like I've said it before, I'll say it again. Probably my favorite charm that she has is... 
tall as the trees, strong as the land. Mm -hmm. And it is one of her capstone charms where she gets to go full on Paul Bunyan and just turn herself into a giant woman uh, if she should ever need to fell behemoths like um, pine trees. As somebody who is currently playing a Goliath in a D&D game that all my friends affectionately call Big Lady, I am totally into the idea of another Big Lady. I like I like Big Lady as an archetype. It makes me happy. Especially because I'm a very small lady. So, you know, it's aspirational. Fair. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Janist is great. And so she's really designed around being able to slot easily into play with solars and lunars or sidereals. Uh, any of the other like celestial playgroup type exalts. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she's familiar enough that she's not going to feel like completely wonky. Like you could give Janist to a new exalted player. And I think they would click with her mm -hmm. as easily as they would click with solars. Um, but she's going to feel new for experienced players. Uh, she's approachable and she's something that you can drop in uh, to the setting and just, it broadens up so many stories. Mm -hmm. And she was chosen by a field god. Is there a specific god who uh, is important to her backstory? Or can you kind of like move her around creation and pick different, just make up a new field god depending on where she is? So by default, uh, she is the chosen of Ten Chiefs, a very minor agricultural deity called a um, field god. And uh, he you know, sees this invading fair folk army that's just about to completely decimate her village of Colise. This, this is the art from the core, right? <laughs> yes. That's what I thought. Yes, this is the art from the core. Uh, and he prays to the unconquered sun and receives the spark of exigence and uses it and burns himself up entirely. And that's where Janist comes from. Um, we kind of give a through line for some fiction with Janice, which is that she goes on a little bit of a world tour. And so if folks are interested in picking up and playing Janice, they can have that happen during her world tour, or they can invent a completely different set of circumstances for her. But by default, uh, the presentation is that uh, Ten Sheaves has burnt himself out in the process of creating her. Um, she has defeated the Fair Folk army that was the exigent circumstance that she was originally empowered for. And so now she's kind of got free reign to go forth into the world, do good, do right by honest people in small communities, and be a voice for a very different kind of thing than like sometimes the the high and mighty ideals of the solars mm -hmm. or yeah. I really like that. We also, uh, in terms of sort of being able to move her around, did a sneaky trick of never specifying where her home village is. Mm -hmm. So it can just be wherever it needs to be for your game. Uh, she has reason to be far away from it. But if it's better for her to have that nearby, you are free to have it nearby. I like that. I like a like a versatile character who can either be an NPC or a player character, depending on what the needs of the group is. Get you an exigent who can do both. <laughs> Janice understood the assignment. Um, and then we have someone who's a little bit creepier. We have Pac-Pow, the puppeteer. Pac-Pow, my beloved. Okay, in that case, Vance, take it away. She is sort of the opposite of Janice. With Janice, we sort of gave you a blank slate setting-wise. With Pac Pow, while her character is still totally up to you to define and make choices about, 
because she's a schemer and a intrigue-focused exigent, we give you sort of a default social situation for her to be scheming in. Uh, we give you some of the major players in her home city of Xiaojun, although you're free to move that around to wherever else you want. Uh, and we also have some allies. Her patron god, Karana, who is a god of puppetry, is still alive. He's trying to tempt her over to his agenda. She has her own agenda, although that's also left up to you to mm-hmm. pick what you want that to be. So there's some back and forth there. She also has a husband who's a prominent figure in the government. And depending on how you want to play that, he can be your partner in crime and your biggest supporter, or he can be a preserved corpse that you occasionally stick some puppet strings on and trot out for appearance's sake. Oh, that's creepy. (laughs) So it's not really about like, here is this exigent and there is only one way you can ever use them but more about, here's an exigent, if you want to play in this playground, here is a whole bunch of tools to use for that. I love that. So, she's a puppeteer, and I know that it's kind of a literal slash figurative term. Um, So, what's an example of her powers that would apply to either one of those? So, at her most straightforward, she can use puppets as an extension of herself, Uh, eventually progressing to the point where they just sort of are treated as separate characters who are her minions in combat. As she sort of takes that further and further, she starts doing things like, okay, now I can raise a corpse as a zombie through puppetry. And then progressing from that to maybe, okay, now I can do a sort of metaphysical spiritual puppetry that snares people's souls and binds them into puppets. Uh, She also goes in the direction of sort of being able to make herself into a living puppet, replacing body parts with sort of wood and metal and ivory, and sort of becoming very hard to kill because she is a puppet and not a thing of flesh and bone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it gets, she can do some pretty cool tricks with like detaching limbs, uh, reattaching limbs. It just goes to a really fun direction that you can't really find in another exalt type because no one's that specific about puppetry yeah the only thing that i think would be even somewhat close would be a liminal right and we only have those in essence right now yeah and even then there's a very different vibe between the puppeteer style of body horror which isn't very horror focused it's Mm -hmm. more of a a cool thing she's doing while the liminals are sort of more grotesque about it so i have a question that we 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 may or may not have thought of but how is that fundamentally different from like prosthetics like what is different about her replacing a limb with ivory or wood than someone who has a prosthetic limb it's not and uh she has charms that make her really good at building prosthetic limbs for people Mm -hmm. uh among other things like is it like magic ones that will like work on their own or is it just like basic ones that are just really good There's always sort of a line in Exalted that's hard to draw between this is magic and this was made by someone who is so good Mm -hmm. that they are a legend in their field. Right, right, right. But it's, they're really good prosthetics. Okay, and I guess that the big thing about her is that she can just interchange them. Like she can put her original limbs back on if she needs to, etc. There's some things she can do 
back and forth. Mm-hmm. There's some charms where it's more of a permanent transformation. Like you are permanently making it so your heart is an organ. You can sort of wiggle around and get it where you need to in these compartments inside your body. That's creepy. It is. <laughs> I love it. She's also just a terror to fight against because she is, you know, vibe-wise from magic, very blue-black. Mm-hmm. She's she's playing to see you lose. Right, right, right. Or is I one of those people who, like, doesn't like playing blue decks on principle because <laughs> they make me so mad when I play against them? So I just don't like them now. <laughs> she also, if you're not interested in getting super invested in literal puppetry... Mm-hmm. She also has sort of a sub-theme of having agents who act on her behalf. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like a spy master. Charms that, work, charms that work better with them and charms that are really especially useful when you have them. Most Exalted have charms that can mess with people's memories. Pac-Pow has one that only works on people who are willing. But if you've got a willing agent, you can make it impossible for them to reveal your secrets, uh, and eventually you build up to charms like retroactively revealing that you changed their memories right as you need them to not know that. Huh. Well, that's fascinating and terrifying, which is how I feel about a lot of things I hear about Exalted. So, you know, that makes sense. I'm like, oh, that's amazing and scary, uh, which is part of why I like the setting so much. So that's Pac Pal. Obviously, to find out exactly what her charms do, you'll have to read about it. And yes, we are using the uh, pronouns as presented in the book for these characters. That said, you are, of course, if you're going to play one, more than welcome to make them whoever you would like them to be. If you want Pac Pal's husband to be her wife, you can do that, etc. Um, I know that the next one is going to be the Architects, which is kind of a mixture of, yes, we have Ravana Quinn, who's our signature, but we also have the group of the Architect as a whole. Is that correct, Van? So Ravana shows up in the chapter fiction, mm-hmm. but the book itself is more about sort of laying out what you need to build your own architect. Oh, okay, cool. One of Exalted's greatest strengths has always been its setting. It has such cool cities. It has Nexus... Look Shy, Fajad, Jim, just such good cities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with the architects, it's basically making up the personification or the hero or the champion or maybe a reluctant champion of that city. So this is your like Batman, Spider's Man type character, right? Exactly. (laughs) This is Batman as Gotham incarnate. It is sort of Sam Vimes as Ankh Morpork. Mm-hmm. And it's Jack Hawksmore from The Authority, which I read once and don't really remember, but he's there. Right, right, right. And like I said, I mean, like, to me, the quintessential is, like, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, right? Like- exactly. And sort of what your city is, that is what determines what you have as your foundation attributes, which is what they have instead of cast attributes. Mm-hmm. It determines your what magical material you're resonant with. If you're the architect of Chiaroscuro, you might be resonant with Chiaroscuro glass artifacts and not any of the magical materials. That's cool. Uh, It also, in your charms, depending on what your city's foundation attributes are, some charms may be available in a different attribute. It's similar to with Lunars, how your spirit shape can let you do that. It's, It's a useful trick for attribute-based charm sets. That's cool. Uh, So just what city you are the architect of, it's basically a different exigent for every city and just one Mm -hmm. sort of overarching set that contains them. 
Yeah, that's actually super, super cool, especially because, like, as you were saying, the setting of Exalted is so expansive and fantastic and just well-written and detailed that I can definitely see how, obviously, the exigent of Nexus would be different from the exigent of Prasad, for instance, or the exigent of um, Chimpor, right? Because the exigent of Chimpor is probably, like, a super creepy, mystical, weird person versus the exigent of Nexus. The exigent of Nexus has just got some Bitcoin to sell. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nexus exigent as a crypto bro. I do want to say that uh, late in second edition, one of the books I worked on, I did get a Bitcoin joke in there where there's a court of fair folk creating coins because they believe coins are just the thing you have that has value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that is my secret dig. And I think it's aged well. I didn't, I, I'm not sure I realized Bitcoin was around that long, even though I'm, I'm sure I actually did. My brain is just like, what is time anymore? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I recently realized we've been doing this podcast for four years. Who knew? Not not me. Time flies. Um, so that, that's the Architects. Uh, if there's ever, especially if you're a fan of Exalted and there's like a city that you really love, uh, even if your friends never let you play there. Now you can just play as that city, and that's cool. There is one last thing I have to add. Go, go for it. Because they're the chosen of cities, we do have to mention like a few new cities that have never appeared before. <gasps> new cities? Uh, new cities? We do have one with Dragon Kings. So if you are a fan of that, what? Exigence has got some goodies for you. There may also be a romance angle, so fans of that can look to that forward to that too. That's awesome. And the reason I asked Vance about the architects was because, Elliot, clearly I'm going to ask you about the Sovereigns. <laughs> uh, what would you like to know about the Sovereigns, Dixie? So what what are the Sovereigns of Uluiru? So the Sovereigns of Uluiru are one of the examples of a class of exigent. So there are quite a number of them. I don't think we ever attach a hard number to it because that's a really useful dial for people mm-hmm. to be able to like play with in their own games at their own table. But the idea is, so the Sovereigns of Uluiru uh, are, uh, at the moment of their creation, a people in exile. Uh, they are, you know, trying to survive this long exodus. And their patron god, Cantata of the Depths, a god of gems and mining and kingship, uh, eventually leads them to the barrow of an ancient auroral deity. Uh, and he goes down into that deity's divine blood and he, you know, ignites the spark of exigence. And he creates the sovereigns, uh, starting with Queen Ulu, uh, his beloved and the leader of their people. So he creates this really weird miracle that we call a And that's any time mm-hmm. you have two or more gods who are kind of mixing incompatible divine essences to create an exigent. Uh, it's something that we usually portray as being troublesome uh, because you've got these conflicting essences trying to reconcile inside of their bodies and their spirits for the sovereigns it manifests especially with uh some of their charms really have them lean into like they actually hurt to use um but there's also the fact that becoming a sovereign means you have to go down into this flaming pool of blood and dip yourself in and sometimes you come out as a sovereign and sometimes you don't come out at all and sometimes you come out as just something weird and awful so 
Ooh. It is a big gamble, and uh, it is something that Queen Ulu only allowed mostly her direct descendants to do. So the sovereigns of Uluiru as a type of exalted are even more so than the dragon blooded, a single family drama. And I think one of the things that uh, we were really pulling on there is if you're familiar with the Amber series. Uh, I'm not very familiar, but feel free to talk about it. <laughs> uh, so mm, I'm not as familiar as I would like to be to, to extemporate on it, but Vance is. I think I can get some Amber. Amber is essentially a pulp fantasy political power struggle between the children of, or between the heirs to the kingdom of Amber's throne. Yeah, it's a, like, 60s Zelazny series, right? Like, 60s, 70s? Yeah. It is a big influence for Exalted. It's a big influence for the Scarlet Dynasty of the realm. But the realm sort of takes it from this one family struggle and it blows it up to a Game of Thrones-style multiple houses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With the sovereigns like an Amber, it's one family. These are people who are as at each other's throats as only family can be. So they're like little (laughs) D-dynasts. Yes, because with the sovereigns, like, you're not just plotting against your, like, distant family members. You're plotting against your aunt uh, to try and take Mm -hmm. the throne of Uluiru. Um, but so the sovereigns have lots of really weird little themes that run throughout their charm sets. So they get a lot of cantata in the depths uh, stuff about sovereignty, obviously enough, uh, and gemstones and mining and wealth. Um, but they also partake of some essence from the dead auroral god uh, whose blood cantata used to help ignite the exigents. And that is mm-hmm. uh, they can create constructs and weapons and armor out of auroral light um at their best they can kind of be inspiring figures uh who are driving their subordinates to uh you know new depths of creativity and bravery um but they can also be kind of cruel and capricious like janice they're based around a five ability spread and for Mm -hmm. them it is craft uh integrity performance, socialize, and war. And there's lots of cool stuff that they can do. Uh, I mean, just even if we're talking about like aesthetic level, they're rushing around the battlefield with weapons made out of um, basically solidified light called Mm -hmm. fire glass. They're swinging one weapon this way and they change it into another weapon. They armor themselves in light. There's a lot of stuff that players I think are going to be able to riff with and stunt on very nicely. So I have have two questions about them based on all that. One is if a random person went into the pool, like tried to like steal their exigence, would that be possible? Or is it something that like only the family can do? So that's something that I think we kind of leave mostly up to the reader. Um, mm-hmm. The the fact is that it might be that anyone can do it, and then it's a political issue that Ulu was pushing. It might be that because it was made out of Cantata's sacrifice, it has to be someone who is part of Ulu's family, whether that's by blood or adoption, because I do believe we have one adopted scion who made it in. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might be that they needed her permission rather than being part of her family, or there might be some other criteria that's at play here. Um, 
we wanted to leave that open because I think that's something that's going to be more useful for storytellers and groups to be able to use as a dial to figure out what's going to be most interesting and dramatic for them. So my other question, just based on this whole description that we've been talking about and also based on some of the art I've already gotten to see, yeah, y'all seen it too, but you know, we've all seen the art. It's cool. Um, I have to assume the sovereigns are fucking fabulous because like you say a rural light, which is what, ethereal rainbows and then you say the you know patron of like gems so like are they are they fucking fabulous they are absolutely fucking fabulous um uh i think our signature clear eyes lie he's got this wonderful look Um, he's a little he's a little dour um just because he's come back from a long long trip through the wild that he'd rather not have to relive but you know he has amazing um jewelry that's just dripping everywhere uh sovereigns are all wearing crowns of all sorts of different designs surprising no one he's got this really great like gold makeup look that is just killer every time i see it he's got some avant-garde eyeliner going on and it makes me very happy like i love an avant-garde eyeliner look i think they're really fun uh and i i love his it's great yeah, and I think with Uluiru, you've got a place that really gives people permission to indulge in their dreams from, like, uh, Baroque fantasy excess all the way to, like, glam rock. Uh, if I thought I could have gotten away with um, making a sovereign who was just Jim from Jim and the Holograms, I might have tried it. But I know better. I know better. Also, also, you are talking to someone who is technically in charge of the line and also is one of the biggest gem fans of all time and one of the biggest glam rock fans of all time. So I'm not sure you could have snuck that past me. Uh, that said, I am absolutely going to make some kind of David Bowie or Susie Quattro or some other glam icon character in there. Also, I would love to make the like one goth sovereign. The one who's like, why is everything got to be rainbows? Oh, no. Because that would be oh. like, I I would love to have the like Susie Sue in that lineup of like, I look just as extreme as everybody else, but it's all onyx. You know, it's all black. <laughs> I'm picturing their anima banner as a rainbow of seven different shades of black. Or like an oil slick, maybe like that kind of like shimmery darkness. Oh, I do really kind of dig yeah. that. And there's definitely some room for that, too. OK, good. I've, I've made my character. Because uh, Goth Glam is is my my wheelhouse, uh, and I'll be playing uh, the Susie Sue of Uliru, which is too many oohs in that entire sentence. Um, I'm super excited about them, though. I think they're very cool. Uh, that's probably like I am excited about all of the ones that we have in the book, but they're probably my favorite pre-made, um, just because of the glam rock aspect and. You know, having family drama built in as a backstory is nice. It is it, it is helpful to have something to kind of go to instead of having to make it up whole cloth. So I like that we have that in there. We also, in addition to those, and we're running kind of low on time, so we're going to get through these as quickly as possible. But we also have some new kinds of exalted as well as exigents in this book, correct? Correct. The secret is... Yes, secret. Designing an exigent, designing a new exalt type, exact same thing. So we have an appendix addressing sort of how to create a new exalt type, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how fitting them into the setting is a bit different from exigents who have a built-in place. And we give some examples. It is, we give three of what I call design seeds. It's not mm-hmm. a fully playable write-up, but it's a whole lot to start with. 
and it might be enough to do a starting character out of the box. I did actually check to make sure that's possible, and there's some traits you won't have, mm-hmm. but I think you're going to be at least 90% of the way there. Also, like, if you're into Exalted to the point where you're picking up Exigence, I feel like you could probably figure out a lot of it, um, especially since we have guides for creating charms. And I suspect a lot of people are going to be posting their takes on the new Exalt types, the Heart Eaters, the Umbral Exalted, and the Dream Sold. So I think there's not going to be any shortage of uh, material there. Yeah, so Dream Sold are Illusion Transformation, right? That's like their thing? Right. They are chosen by this strange alien god being of the just furthest wild so uh, so sort of distant in the chaos that he's a legend, even to the Raksha. Oh, shit. And they are sort of defined by a specific dream of how the world should be. And they have illusion and transformation and sort of some other fairy tricks for bending the world to that vision of what it should be. And then we have the Heart Eaters who feed on, I think, free will. They are corrupted, exalted, who are driven by this intense hunger that is a corruption of what used to be sort of a muse's inspiration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now, instead of inspiring people, they seek them out and make them pawns. They essentially turn them into sort of puppets or almost possessed victims that they can control. So they have kind of like a Dracula Renfield thing going on, like a vampire thrall thing going on without the being a vampire part. But even more uh, than that, they can just sort of step into your body and take over. Oh, shit. Okay. So they are probably not the nicest ones to play as. (laughs) They are not. If you are playing a heart eater, that's probably some sort of early white wolf, a beast I am, let's say beast I become, Mm -hmm. uh, troubled monster protagonist. They, They don't lend themselves well to it. But I am sure fans will find a way to make it work because they do that. I mean, yeah, whenever we have a, a quote unquote kind of evil or dark f- faction in one of our books, people find a way to play them because they want to at some point. Because let's, let's face it, it can be fun to be the bad guy. I mean, I I like playing Abyssals. They're not yep. generally considered the nicest exalts, <laughs> but they're fun. They're not. But even then, like... Honestly, I think the Heart Eaters are some of the scariest uh, characters that we've ever had in Oh, yeah, no. They sound way worse to me than a lot of the other ones. So <laughs> that'll be interesting to see what the fans think of them. Um, so, yes, they're bad guys, people. We're saying right now they're not the greatest guys. So if their charms or their, you know, description makes them sound like they're not the greatest guys, it's because they're not. Uh, and the other one are the Umbral. So what's up with the Umbral Exalted? The Umbrals are sort of, they tap into this classic inner darkness dynamic. They are haunted by the essence of the god who created him. But that essence sort of takes parts of their personality, of their mind, and constructs a a facade or a persona for itself out of them. And that's called their shadow. And so their So it's Wraith. Themes, it's Wraith the Exalted. It is pulled straight from Wraith. I love it. Uh, and their themes and their charms are all about sort of grappling with your shadow. It is something you can make deals with for power, but at the cost of giving up your freedom to it, which is in so much anime these days. Mm-hmm. But it's also sort of something where you can have a long-term arc of learning more about your shadow, seeing it sort of as a more 
complete person almost rather than just a voice in your soul maybe even sort of reaching a a balance or a alliance with it sort of in the way you sometimes see in hulk stories because that's another oh yeah big source for it you know, it, it's so funny whenever you say that, like, I immediately, of course, go to Raid, but of course there's, like, a million and five different characters that have, like, being cool with your inner darkness as a main plot point. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and surprisingly, yeah. very few of them have used literal darkness as part of their power set. So Umbral's just got to take that. Huh. You're right. A, my mind is blown. B, that sounds awesome. Um, Very, very cool. As a, as a you know, diehard... Vampire the Masquerade La Sombra player. I'm like, darkness is a power? I already like that. I remember in uh, when I was into Dungeons & Dragon 3rd edition, there was a book of alternate magic systems, and one of them was shadow magic. Oh my it God. really wasn't an alternate system, but I was so into shadow magic. Mm. Are we talking about Tome of Magic? Is that really what we're doing here? That is what we're doing. We can talk about whatever we want. Okay, hot take. The sovereigns are magic of incarnum. Okay. I'll take it. That that means, yeah. I think the Chosen of the Masks has them beat, but she is not actually statted up in the book. So I will have to save that for another time. <laughs> Fair. May, may have some sort of companion that we may have, may fund with the Kickstarter. I don't know. Uh, either way, Kickstarter soon. Hi. Um, I know that anybody listening to this is probably looking forward to it. Most of y'all read the blog year round. You know that we're, you know, talking about exigence coming up. Um, we're super excited for it. There are definitely a couple of reward tiers that I'm excited for people to see. We always have, you know, a few of the like submit your own stuff. So we've definitely got a few submit your own things for this. Uh, it's it's going to be fun. Uh, I, I always look forward to an exalted Kickstarter. As a lot of people know, uh, particularly Vance and Eric might remember, I was four days on the job when we launched Dragon Blooded. <laughs> Easy start. And so I, uh, I, I, I started, and then we launched Dragon Blooded, and I was in charge of it. And like, thank God, Eric and Vance know what the hell they're doing. Thank God, Elliot knows what he's doing. <laughs> like, thank, thank God, because uh, if it weren't for this team, I would not be nearly as just happy and excited with Exalted as I am. Uh, but from from that Dragon Blood Kickstarter launch all the way through the Essence Kickstarter last year, uh, I've I've been nothing but happy for the team, and I'm glad that the fans have understood that you know the last couple of years have been rough, and we're trying to ramp things back up now. Uh, if anybody's been watching the blog, we are obviously you know deep in second drafts of Siderials right now, uh, which I know a lot of folks were surprised to see kind of like pop up on the blog as soon as it did before the Exigence Kickstarter. And it's like, yeah, we would like to get books out fast. We just hadn't been able to for a little bit here, but we're working on it. And of course, y'all are also the developers on Siderials. And Elliot, it's your first time doing it from the beginning. Uh, so just real quick, although I think we're going to talk more in another roundtable about it. Uh, do you have any feelings about Siderials and how that's going, Vance? Writing Siderial Charms is the most fun design I will ever do. Yay! There is some stuff I am really proud of as a mechanics designer in there and i'm really excited for folks to see that which is not to say that it's not an exigence but exigence is a book that has a whole bunch of mechanics writers mm -hmm. that was the work of many hands siderials is more me and one other writer mm -hmm. so i get a chance to get it more hands-on yeah it's also the setting material is going to be so good i really love um what we've done with the usurpation 
or the solar purge, as it is politically correct to say in heaven. I love that. I really love um, some of our existing characters. It takes on them. Kajak, Kajak and Anna Sin are going to be really, really fun to see. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of love how how they work. They've always been great. So we just sort of get to put the best presentation on them, fix what flaws there are, and just sort of go wild with them. That's awesome. And Elliot, I know that whenever I've talked to y'all in the past few weeks, just whenever y'all see drafts come in, it's just been like, we're so excited. This is so good. I'm so, this is so great. So what are you thinking about it at, at this stage going into finals? So my whole goal is I was trying to make sure that we can do the same glow up that Lunars got in terms of the quality of their, um, you know, their place in the setting. Mm-hmm. I wanted us to give that same glow up to Yushan as a location because it's such a cool, evocative, right. uh, specific place for the sidereal play experience. But I feel like previous editions have, you know, struggled to make it as player friendly as it could be. So, like, one of the design mandates was working for the Bureau of Destiny doesn't suck. Mm hmm. Because that has been kind of a little bit of a fandom meme where it's like, oh, you're a sidereal, you need to fill this out in triplicate. And we still want to have a little bit of that wonderful, like, bureaucratic flavor for them, but they are special agents and, you know, top-ranking officials, uh, and we want to give you a little bit more authority and autonomy, which is going to change the way that they feel, both in creation and especially in Yushan. And we also wanted to make Yushan a cool place, a place that people are going to want to go mm-hmm. and to play. And some of the things that the writers have been coming up with, I, I turned them loose on it, hoping and knowing because they're amazing people uh, that we were going to get something very, very cool. And I, I just, I, mm, I cannot wait for people to see <laughs> Heaven's Glow Up. Maybe after we uh, finish the experience Kickstarter and get final drafts in a little bit developed, we can post a preview on the blog of maybe some Yushan material. That could be a fun thing to well, throw out there. I think we could do that. Yeah. Oh, please, 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 uh, please, please. Be please. Able to <laughs> so we will talk more about Sidereals uh, on another episode, I am sure. Um, I just wanted to kind of touch on it since I had you both here. And because I'm just like, your excitement feeds my excitement. Um, one thing that I never want to happen with developers is that they get to a point where they're, they're not excited anymore. That usually means that you're burning out. So please, like, I like always try to keep an eye on people's excitement levels. And like, I know that like things happen and you can't maintain like 100% 24-7. But the fact is that every time y'all have seen drafts, I have gotten messages in our private chat that's just like, oh my god, this is so good. This is so good. And then every time you've seen artwork for Echo Jones, you're like, this is so good. Uh, we're all excited to see the uh, mock-up of the cover that we've seen that we can't talk about. <laughs> I really, really like the art. It's I good. can't say anything about it, but it's so good. I will say one thing about it, and that is a story that I just wanted to tell on the podcast because it's funny to me. Um, and that is that I was sending y'all pictures of the, the main Splat characters, right? Um, and I sent the line art of Clear Eyes Lie, um, who is a, a, a cis dude. He's like a big buff dude kind of he's not super buff but he's like really i'm mean, no, sorry he's super buff he's not super big but he's like really cut and i sent this line art and because elliot had like not safe for work stuff turned off where you couldn't send not safe for work stuff it wouldn't let me send it to elliot because he had nipples and i found that very funny personally <laughs> that i was trying to like get approval from the developers of some line art and discord was like no you can't send that to elliot it's it's porn and i was like but it it's not though 
You mean Discord doesn't have a a clear and easily accessible policy about uh, yeah, no. It was black and white line art of a dude in a pool. <laughs> I, I seriously, the art for the book, I'm so excited. We just got to see a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Discovering this as a developer, there is nothing quite like seeing an art note go from some things that you put down on paper to this amazing work uh, by some of our artists, especially, who just knock it out of the park and who really elevate all of your ideas in a hundred different ways. Yeah, no. Um, we have a like, especially at Exalted, we have a really close relationship with the the art direction process because there is such a history, um, and we're trying to do really specific things. But because of that, they tend to knock it out of the park because we write really detailed art notes, and also they listen to us if we need to change anything. They are they are very very good. Um, so yeah, I am I am super happy with everything that we have for for this one so far. And obviously, after the Kickstarter, we'll have a whole lot more. But there are some really beautiful pieces uh, that folks will see once the Kickstarter page is live. Um, so with all that said, we have talked for over an hour. So, um, Elliot, if people wanted to talk to you, find you, follow you, where would you like them to do so? Not where, just can they? Uh, so I am not a huge social media presence. That's but fine. if you if you want to follow my occasional tweets and the ways that I build hype for my friends and people who I admire. And your uh, random perchance exalted generators where people get to make exalted Christmas movie titles and things. Oh gosh. Yes. If you want to follow my, my random perchance generators, uh, I am on Twitter as Elliot M Freeman, uh, two L's, two T's. Um, I, I, I will have spelled it right in the episode description. I promise. Okay, then, <laughs> we're we're good then. We're good then, Dixie. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I would I would never deprive you of an L or a T as much as some of our other friends would like to. Um, and of course, we're all on the fan court in various capacities. But as we always say, or as we said last time uh, on a different episode, you can add us responsibly or just don't add us. Really, either one. Um, Vance, where people find you? I am. I'm also not much of a social media person. I am mostly going to show up in one exalted Discord or another. Yeah, you, you, you're in the main fan court all the time. Like, I feel like almost every time that I flip over to that, I see you in there talking. So it is a great way to de-stress between legal writing. True. So is that the best place for them to find you? You, you don't want any new Twitter followers? You're like, fuck that. Oh, my, my Twitter is basically just wrapped up in lockdown now no okay uh the downside of having parents who are public figures true true i understand that we we don't have to go into any of that so uh, you can find me as always at dixie cyanide on most social media um i think i'm dixie chosen of soon kickstarters on the fan cord right now god knows what my name will be by the end of it i've been dixigent off done you can find me i'm around i've got that weird tan gold color for my name uh, you can also find us on theonyxpath.com at theonyxpath on most social media. Uh, thank you both so much for being here. And as always, many worlds, one podcast.